1988, a song went to number one for two weeks that scientifically, technically speaking, had a title that was not correct. A lot of you have reached out and, and maybe tried to smell a rose or picked a blackberry, and you've actually hit one of those thorns. And it's not a very fun experience. But did you know that technically, scientifically speaking, no rose has a thorn? Scientifically speaking, there are three things that come from a, a plant that are sharp and prick you and those sorts of things. Thorns actually technically come from the ends of branches or stems. Spines or spindles come out of the ends of leaves. The most plants you have, you, you think those are beautiful leaves, you touch the end of them, you cut your finger. That's technically a spine or a spindle. Prickles are the outer layer of a plant that produce those sharp things. And technically, that's what thorns have. But I doubt it would have gone to number one if they had sung, Every Rose Has a Prickle. Right from the outset, I want to make an admission to you. As we're studying the different types of soils that are found in the parable of the sower, and if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, we're going to read Luke's account tonight. We've been reading different accounts each time. So if you turn to Luke 8, we'll, we will read his account in just a moment. But as you're turning there, I want to admit to you that there have been seasons in my life where I have been more like this type of soil than I care to admit, quite frankly. In fact, there's no way to study these things. There's no way to calculate these things. But many have made the observations before that there are more Christians who are or have been at some point the type of soil that we're going to consider tonight than we would really like to admit. And there can be no doubt that since we're dealing with something as complex as the human heart, that is the human emotions and will and thinking and all of that stuff, that we're dealing with something that complex, there's no way to break down each person for their entire lifetime into one particular category. At, each, at different times in our lives, each of us has probably been one or two or three or maybe even all four of these types of soil. And so we're dealing with something where it's a tendency of the heart and something very complex. Thorns are protrusions from those plants. And most of all, most of us have had a negative experience with them. And it hurts. But the thorns that Jesus uses in the parable are probably not in his mindset what we typically think of on roses or blackberry bushes or those sorts of things. Probably because of the culture, the place in which he was. He's probably thinking more along those things that are a nuisance like brambles or briars, those sorts of things that sort of take over an area and make it very uncomfortable to walk around and get around in. But before tonight we study that type of soil, I want us, as we've done, to read the parable, this time from Luke's account, chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And we'll read through verse 8. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, that is Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as we've been doing each time, we're reading from different accounts, but go ahead and turn your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 13, because we're using Matthew's account as far as the the interpretation that Jesus gives for sort of the the outlining of our lesson. And as we think about the, the thorny soil in this parable tonight, I want us to do so under just three observations. And don't get too excited because the first observation will only take about a minute and a half. So don't be thinking that we're going to just rush through the other two. But I want to observe, first of all, very simply, that there are hearers again. We won't spend much time here because we've noticed it in each of the two lessons so far. That is, dealing with the wayside soil or the soil along the path, and then dealing with the rocky soil the last time we studied through this parable. But we still need to emphasize it each time. As you said, Jesus is not describing in this parable people who have never heard the Word of God or who have just sort of had a few passing words cross their ears. In each case, the wayside soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and what we'll Lord willing look at next week, the good soil, He is speaking of people who hear the Word of God, specifically in context, the Word of God dealing with the kingdom, And they hear it to at least some significant level, enough to have some kind of response to it. And I want to remind us and drive this home before moving on. You are here on a Sunday evening service, which shows a certain level of dedication. It shows that you are taking in the Word of God, and that you enjoy to some level doing that both in public settings like this, and hopefully to some degree in your own private life. But knowing that, Each of us needs to realize we are in view individually in this parable because it is a gauge of how each and every person who has an interaction with the Word of God is reacting to what we hear or read and how we take it into our lives and either utilize it or let it be based with no influence whatsoever. So these are hearers again. As I said, don't get too excited. That's all for point one. Now observation number two is going to take a few minutes. Because Jesus talks about what it is that chokes the Word. In the explanation that Jesus gives to the parable, He likens the thorny soil to something that chokes the Word. If you're in Matthew 13, look at verse 22. Jesus said there, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the Word, that's what we just discussed, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word. And we'll get to the remainder of the verse in a few minutes. So these are people who hear the Word, again specifically, the Word about the Kingdom of God, but something keeps it from having full effect. Something keeps it from bearing a flower or bearing full fruit, or probably in Jesus' thinking, bearing a full head of grain. Jesus compares it to thorns choking a plant. But as He explains it, He lists or names two things that each of us need to consider that can choke the influence of the Word of God in our lives. First, He speaks of what He calls the cares of the world. And of the two things Jesus mentions in Matthew 13, 22, personally, this is the one that's more fascinating to me. And the reason is, it's so generic. For one thing, it's plural, the cares of this world, not the care of the world. But it's also of interest to me that he doesn't then go on to start listing stuff. The cares of the world such as this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And so we're left in a lot of ways to think for ourselves. But what gives this this phrase its fascination is also what gives this phrase its power. The simple fact 
that this is generic causes us to consider, if we're honest, any number of things that are of this world that we care about, but that we can also allow to care more for them than we care for the Word of God. The reality is this. Jesus is talking about the way in which we get caught up in the affairs of everyday living. And if we're not careful, we forget to place our minds firmly on things that transcend this life. It could be described as those times when we're not doing what Paul would talk about in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, where we're to set our minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. It could be described as when we're not thinking on or dwelling on those things that Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, those things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and worthy of praise. And it doesn't even have to be what you might think of as sinful things. It could be our jobs. It could be hobbies. It could be teams we enjoy or celebrities we like to follow. It could even be our families. They don't have to be bad things. But they are things that if we're not careful, we allow to move our focus from the eternal to the earthly. And when we do that... They can become what we care about the most. We can fail to tie those things to the eternal. And our focus then shifts from God as our priority to this world as our priority. And when we allow that to happen, they choke out the Word for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which is we begin to excuse what we do toward those things and downplay what the Word of God says about those things. We could give any number of examples, but here are a few. How many people will get caught up in a ball game and say things, even yell things where other people can hear them, that they would never say in any other setting, and it's excuses because, well, it's just entertainment. I just enjoy the games. I just get caught up in it. I've had Christians, and I believe in all seriousness, tell me, now if you come to the game, don't sit by me because you might not like how I talk. Really? Am I caught up in the cares of the world? Because I'm not allowing the Word of God to dictate how I act or react in those settings. Or what about the person who doesn't just work, but they're a workaholic? And they just excuse it, well, I'm providing for my family. But never mind the fact it's taking away time with the Word of God. It's taking away time with God's people. It's continually causing me to be absent from the assemblies of the church. And we excuse it because, well, I, I enjoy the position. I enjoy the money. I enjoy the prestige. Instead of making sure that the eternal overrides the earthly. And we could go on and on and give any number of examples. In fact, I question whether I should give any examples at all. Because each of us needs to think for ourselves. Is there something of this world or some things of this world that if I'm not careful, I begin to allow myself to care about more than I care about the Word of God? Do I find myself excusing certain choices or certain behaviors or certain relationships because I care for those things even if they don't line up with what the Scriptures teach? The cares of the world. But then Jesus does state excuse me, one specific thing that can choke out the Word. As He describes it, the deceitfulness... Of riches. 
money or wealth in the Bible, yes, it's warned against quite often. But we need to remember that money and wealth in the Bible is never presented exclusively as a good thing or a bad thing. The Bible constantly, yes, warns about handling money properly and the, uh, the pursuit of money properly, but it never presents money and wealth exclusively as a good or bad thing. And the reason that the Bible warns us about it is because wealth always promises far more than it can ever provide. That's why the Bible continually gives us this balance that we're to be seeking. On the one hand, things like hard work and discipline and those sorts of things. And on the other hand, contentment. We work hard, hopefully, for a lot of reasons. Primarily, hopefully, to glorify God and to, in a way, honor Him for the skills and the abilities and the opportunities He's given to us. We also work to provide for our families. We also work to, to earn money to, to give and to, to help. We work sometimes for our health so that we continue to, to grow our intellect and grow our physical bodies and different things. But we're also commanded in Scripture to be content with our wages, to be content with what we have, so we don't get on this hamster wheel of trying to earn more and more and more just to have more and more and more, only to be disappointed that we don't have more and more and more. Paul would later write some of the clearest words on this in the entire Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Excuse me, verses 6 through 10, he wrote, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And in the famous verse, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Some translations have many sorrows. And by the way, it's no wonder that the very next line that Paul penned to Timothy was, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. But in the parable and in the explanation, Jesus is not saying that we should never think about money or never think about things. He's reminding us, though, that there is a deceitfulness behind it. And that word carries so much weight. In his Greek lexicon, Thayer informs us that the original word that Jesus used here had been in use in the Greek language for centuries before Jesus. In fact, it was found all the way back in the times of Homer and consistently and constantly meant Things like delusion or deceit. So there's no doubt what word Jesus had in mind, what concept Jesus mind, had in mind. And we find ourselves running more and more for money and what it can give to us, only to be dis disappointed that it didn't give us all we thought it would. And so what do we do? We run even harder after more riches and more things, only to be disappointed because either I got what I wanted and it didn't last very long, or I didn't get what I wanted, and so what do we do? We run harder, and on and on and around and around and around it goes. But notice that Jesus says that these things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the Word. And of course, that would imply that the person's spiritual life is being choked out. But it starts with choking the Word. And the word choke is interesting. The original word is only found five times in the New Testament. Four of those times, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they have this same parable and the explanation. 
But the other time it's found is fascinating to me. And it may give, give you a better picture in your mind of exactly what Jesus had in mind. The other time this word is found is in Luke chapter 8 and verse 42, where Jesus is implored by Jairus to come and heal his daughter. And Luke 8, 42 ends by telling us, and as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. The King James Version has, they thronged him. You probably know that feeling. Maybe you've been at a, a major sporting event and you're trying to walk out when the game is over. And everybody in your section is trying to get through the same gate. Or maybe, maybe you've been at the mall about a week before Christmas. And so is everybody else in this entire part of the country all deciding they need to go to the same store you do. And it's, it's as if you can't go anywhere. When I think of this word, I get a, pic, a very personal picture. I think I've told you this story before. Lee and I have been to Scotland a couple times on mission trips. And uh, each time we've gotten to end those trips by going to London and do some sightseeing. It's wonderful. And on one of those trips, we rode the underground, the subway, out several stops to, to something. And about lunchtime, we were going to ride it back to Piccadilly Circus. When we got on the the subway, we were basically the only ones on the car, but it was you know, about 11.15 in the morning or something, and I told Lee, I said, go ahead and get a seat. This thing is going to fill up. Everybody's going to go to lunch. So she sat down. I just kept standing. I enjoy standing on subways because I'm weird. But each stop, it kept getting fuller and fuller and fuller. At the next to last stop, in other words, the last one before we would get off, the car was so full that I was standing by one of those poles that you're supposed to use to stand up, the pole was against my back and my feet were not on the ground. I was being held against the pole by the press of the crowd. That's the word Jesus uses for what the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches do to the word in our lives. It chokes it out. It's easy to see that in the text. And it's easy to preach those kinds of things. But I want us to notice that we do care for certain things. And it's so easy to be deceived by riches. My point is this. Jesus is speaking of a heart that is exceptionally difficult to self-diagnose. We have to be taking a long and hard look at ourselves to see, do I have this kind of heart? And we would be looking very deep within ourselves in the mirror of God's Word, not just to the things that we do, but the motivations behind our thoughts and where our minds continually go. That will tell us where our heart is. But what if one is that kind of thorny soil? What happens? That's observation three. And that is that the result is unfruitfulness. I want you to notice that there's a progression that's found in the results of each of these types of soil so far in the parable. Because what we're going to see with the thorny soil really is frightening. With the wayside soil, the soil along the path, there really isn't much of a result, is there? The seed is snatched away before it has any opportunity to take root, and so there's little of anything as far as a result. With the rocky soil, you have a plant. The seed germinates, it takes root, but the end result is death because the structure, specifically the roots, haven't been cared for in such a way that they can support the plant through all the uh, difficult conditions such as the scorching sun, the growing season, all that, and in the end the plant dies. But there's a tremendous difference with the thorny soil. 
Look again at Matthew 13, 22, and let's read the verse in its entirety. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now this is one of those times where being familiar with a text can kind of work against us a little bit. Most of us are pretty familiar with this and, and the explanation, so we just kind of think ahead. But I want you to consider what Jesus did not say. He does not say that the plant died. He didn't say that the scorching heat killed it like, it, like He did with the rocky soil. He obviously didn't say that birds came along and ate the seed and those sorts of things like He did with the wayside soil. We're told that thorns or brambles or whatever grew up around the plant and not that the plant died, but that it became unfruitful. In other words, the end result of this plant was that it was still somewhat recognizable as a certain kind of plant, probably grain, but it never became what it could have become. On the screens, I know the picture is a little bit small. You, you have a picture of some tomato plants. They're all nice and tall and green, but there's one problem. What is it? I'm seeing the gardeners go, ah, there's no tomatoes. There's not even blooms. There's one little tiny one I figured out the other day. One little tiny bloom on there. Can you imagine the frustration? These beautiful plants with no fruit. What's the point Jesus is trying to make? There are people who hear the Word of God, who obey it, but they never really move their whole life and their whole heart to full obedience to the Lord. And so while on the outside, they may still have a certain look that suggests that they're people of the book, they are not fruitful for the kingdom because their mind and their heart is not fully engaged. It's not fully following what Christ would say through His Word. One commentator, in, in summarizing the thorny soil, said that we try to live this way, it guarantees, in his words, a spiritual crop failure. I think that says it well. We look like Christians in a lot of ways, but there's no fruit harvested for the Lord. But here's what I want you to consider. Many years ago, I heard someone suggest this, and then a little while later, I read, read uh, Brother J.D. McGarvey's fourfold gospel, and he said it too, and I've heard many say it since. But in speaking of the thorny soil, as it pertains to those who hear the truth, here's what J.D. McGarvey wrote. He said, quote, The thorny soil represents those who begin well, but afterwards permit worldly cares to gain the mastery. Now listen carefully. These today outnumber all other classes, and perhaps they have always done so. End quote. There's more thorny soil among those who hear the word than the other three? I don't know. None of us knows. But is it at least not possible that it's true? How many people, even people who sit in church pews week after week, look outwardly like Christians, but who are not bearing fruit for the Lord because the world is getting in the way? I need to ask myself that question very, very often. I'm not saying any of this to run any of us down. I'm saying it because I need to hear it. 
This is the most deceptive kind of soil in the parable because it's the easiest to fall into. Even for people who come to worship, even people who read their Bible from time to time, we may have, if you please, a veneer of Christianity, but we're not bearing fruit for the Lord. We're not trying to win others for Him. We're not seeking to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And doing that in every avenue of our lives. We aren't working at restoring the unfaithful. And spiritually, we're really fooling nobody but ourselves. Because we look good on the outside, but inwardly, the influence of the Word of God is choked and pressed out of our life. And that is utterly frightening. What's the cure? The cure is to think about the, the soil, that is, the heart of each person. Where was the seed that the sower planted put? It was put on the soil, right there with all the rest of it. But where was the seed or the root of the thorns? it was in the same soil. It was never fully removed so that when conditions were right, it shot out of the ground just like the good seed did. The cure is to examine your heart and remove every last tiny little vestige of anything that might choke out the influence of the Word of God. Allow God to forgive us of having even a single bad seed. Not allowing a single bad root to take hold. Proverbs 4.23, the wise man said, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Paul would write in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, that we're to be taking every thought captive for Christ. It's not to say that we can't enjoy sports or hobbies or jobs or families or any number of other things. Those things are all well and good. But each and everything we do has the potential to become a weed with thorns. And we need to make sure we take every last one of them and put them in full submission to the will of God and make sure that not a single one of them ever chokes out the Word. This is the hardest soil to self-diagnose. But through the mirror of the Word of God, it can be done. We sometimes sing the song as a song of invitation, Is thy heart right with God? That's what this takes. It takes looking into the Word of God and asking that question about everything, about every thought, about every motivation, about every word, about every action, about every relationship. Is there anything that is getting in the way of the Word of God having full fruit in my life? If there is, we should be very, very grateful that we serve a God who will help us get rid of it so that we can serve Him faithfully each and every day. Tonight, if you need to come to Him for the first time, or if as a Christian, you need to have Him remove those things from your life through repentance, through prayer, or maybe simply encouragement to do better, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.